Hello, pod fam, and hello, Rachel. Welcome to a very special episode. How are you? Yeah, I, I'm i all right. I'm all right. I am feeling good about this episode. We've been working very hard on it. I'm also a little bit nervous, but the conversation we're about to have is important. So yeah, how are you? I'm great. And yes, this conversation is very important. Uh, because we are going to be talking, as you can see in the title, about abortion in Canada. Now, we are just coming from the Canadian perspective, but we hope that this episode kind of inspires you if you are coming from a different country um, and not necessarily the U.S., but um, in Europe or anywhere in the world, it kind of inspires you to get familiar with the abortion rights in your country and see how you can support them because Mm -hmm. you know canada is often compared to the us but in this instance like it is so vastly different and we thought it would be very important for our fellow canadian listeners to just understand the history surrounding abortion and also understand how we can best support and protect this right to health, because really that's what it is in Canada and should be anywhere, might I add. Might you add, absolutely. So shall we share what we're drinking before we start? Yes, we should. Rachel, what do you have today? So I have a peppermint tea Mm -hmm. with me. Uh, TBD if I'm actually going to drink it because it's like 33 degrees. Yeah, it was about like 36 in my car this afternoon. She is hot. But I also brought a tea, and I thought this one was appropriately named, and my boyfriend actually made it for me when he heard which episode we were doing today, and that is the femininity tea. Oh, love that one. How appropriate, right? It's very appropriate. Very appropriate. (sighs) Well, let's crack into it. Do you have any disclaimers to make before we start? I have a few statistics to do, but maybe we should start with any disclaimers that you have first? Yes, yes. We have some out-of-the-gate notes. So in terms of vocabulary for this episode, we are going to commonly be using the word women and female, but we just want to uh, state that this episode extends to all individuals identifying as transgender, non-binary, and other genders. This is not just a female problem. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, really anyone with with a uterus. They can be affected by how abortion is treated within a country. So that is our first statement that we want to put out there. Mm-hmm. The next one now. Hmm. If you are a staunch believer in forced birth, we hope this episode will help you realize how dangerous restricting access to abortion is for all Canadians and really all persons. Cannot stress that enough. And then, um, as we kind of said before, this episode centers around Canada, but if you are an international listener, welcome. We hope this spurs you into action to be involved in reproductive rights in your country. Absolutely. So before we get into the history of abortion in Canada, I have a few general facts and statistics to share. The first one being, as of a poll completed in 2020, 71% of Canadians believe abortion should be accessible regardless of the reason. Hear, hear. Hear, hear. The next one would be 95% of women who have received abortion care report it was the right decision for them. Yeah. And that, that, again, hear, hear. Definitely, it doesn't matter what the reason is. It is a right decision if that is what the person getting the abortion has decided to do. Absolutely. And abortion is a very safe medical procedure with complications occurring in less than 1% of abortion procedures. And I just want to put that out there because I know sometimes in the forced birth standpoint, using claims about protecting the woman's health are used. It's very safe. Yeah. It's very safe. Yeah. The claims that they are making are actual bullshit. Yes, they are. More than 74,000 abortions were performed in Canada in 2020, and that's cumulative of those performed in hospitals and clinics. But this amount is actually expected to be higher because some private clinics do not report data. And it also doesn't track the um, use of the abortion pill 
which uh, we were having this discussion earlier. We had difficult pronouncing the names. So Miffy. Uh, <laughs> we're yeah. going with Miffy. We're going with Miffy. Uh, yep. So really, like the number is expected to be a lot higher than that 74000 a year. So let's get into the history. This starts in 1892 when Canada's criminal code was first passed. And this was when abortion, as well as the sale and distribution of contraceptives, was criminalized. But of course, women continued to seek out these services. And that brings us to 1969, where abortion is permitted under certain circumstances, but is otherwise still illegal. And these permitted abortions were called therapeutic abortions. And these abortions were only permitted to be completed in accredited hospitals. And a committee of doctors would need to approve the procedure, and they would need to decide whether continuing with the pregnancy would endanger a woman's health or life. But the thing about this is there was no guiding definition of what that actually meant. So obtaining access to an abortion through a hospital could take quite a long time. And also a lot of women, because, you know, Canada is a very big country, not a lot of people live near those urbanized areas. So there was a lot of women who did not live by one of these hospitals and couldn't get access to the procedure. After this law was passed in 1969, a very important figure on this journey that we're about to take you down historically in slashing down the law around abortion was Henry Morgenthaler, and he also worked alongside Dr. Leslie Frank Smalling and Dr. Robert Scott, and they opened up a private abortion clinic in Montreal, which broke this law that I just mentioned that specified it needs to be performed in a hospital and also passed by a committee of doctors that they were allowed to do this procedure. Sorry, Rachel, I just want to jump in here and talk a little bit more about Henry Morgenthaler. Uh, He really was an incredible man. He was a... So, so awesome. Yeah, yeah. He was born in Poland and he is a survivor of the Holocaust. He then came to Canada where he became a doctor and he really was the guy to go to. He did not care about Mm -hmm. the consequences Uh, He wanted to protect women. So he performed countless abortions and he was actually eventually arrested and uh, jailed in Quebec for these abortions. But even after he was released, he continued to spearhead and uh, he was kind of quoted saying, you know, build the clinic and I will come. So he he really is a hero for, for Canadian women. Yep. These are just the two I've written down, but he also, you know, opened up clinics in Toronto and in Winnipeg as well. And, you know, went through a lot of different convictions related to those different clinics. And really like why he did this was he believed that this should be a decision that a woman has complete control over. And she should just, she should be able to decide whether or not she wants to have abortion regardless of any reason without having to jump through all of these hoops and such. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to also state on those accredited hospitals, it kind of sounds like, you know, Canada, we would have many accredited hospitals, but we actually didn't. And to see this committee, they had at least a six-week backlog. At least. Yes. And I believe at the time it was, you know, you could only get an abortion up to eight weeks. So I, there's one um, lady I was listening to. I, I kind of had to laugh, but it's not like a ha-ha funny. She, was, she pretty much said, like, you needed to book your appointment with the tribunal before you even screwed the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I listened to that like, same not funny, lady. not ha-ha, but like, wow. It, it was like, true. Funny, baffling. Yes. Funny, baffling for sure. So, yeah. So he was an amazing person. And then that brings us into 1982, which is when Canada enacts their Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which protects the basic rights and freedoms of all Canadians that are considered essential to preserving Canada as a free and democratic country. And any law that impedes on any of these rights or outright go against them can be struck down, which leads us into 1988, which is the case of R. V. Morgenthaler, which is when the Supreme Court of Canada finally strikes down the law against abortion as unconstitutional. And any of our listeners who are super interested and want to like read through the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it was found to violate Section 7, 
which was the right to life, liberty, and security of person. And I believe it was the primary agreement that the law against abortion impeded on the security of person portion the most here. And I have a quote here from Chief Justice Brian Dixon on this decision. Forcing a woman by threat of criminal sanction to carry a fetus to term unless she meets certain criteria unrelated to her own priorities and aspirations is a profound interference with a woman's body and thus a violation of her security of the person. Hear, hear. (laughs) After this decision, there was no law regarding abortion in Canada, and it's since then been treated as a medical procedure that has been governed by the provincial and medical regulations. Basically, now it, it wasn't illegal, mm-hmm. but provinces and such could choose what they wanted to do. Yeah, and that's that's really Canada's biggest problem. So yeah. I know when Roe v. Wade was first kind of struck down or there was the rumor of it being struck down at the time of this recording, it has been abolished and it, we stand with everyone in the United States because it really is a violation of human rights. Mm-hmm. But in Canada, we were seeing a lot of people and they were they were pro-choice people saying that, you know, we need a law and we need mm-hmm. to codify ab- like abortion rights in Canada. And yeah. this would actually be a little bit detrimental and it's kind of backwards thinking uh, when you first look at it. But really, it does make a lot of sense because, like, abortion's not a criminal act in Canada. No. And if we were to have a legislation, which is what the pro-birth people are trying to push, that would give a future government the opportunity to make abortion illegal, mm-hmm. where by not having the legislation, it still remains a health care act and what we want to do is we want to push the government and the provinces to support the Healthcare Act that helps um, increase the access to abortion clinics and methods. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just wanted to insert that in there if you're kind of thinking like, oh, well, why don't we have a law? So continue yeah. on, Rachel. For sure. That was the perfect little insert kind of leads into the next few years. So at this point... In 1989, Nova Scotia actually banned abortions in clinics outside of hospitals, and then New Brunswick did the same thing in 1994, which leads us into 1995, where it was ruled that provinces must allow access to private abortion clinics, which essentially made it that Nova Scotia and New Brunswick had to allow private abortion clinics to exist outside of the hospitals. But another thing about Canada here is that access outside of hospitals across the country is still very spotty. Mm -hmm. And only some provinces have decided to cover the cost of abortion procedures at private clinics. So a bit later, I have some statistics about provinces themselves, but just keep that in mind. But all of this means um, that in these places where provinces decided not to cover abortions outside, outside in private clinics, if she couldn't get an abortion at a hospital, she would need to cover it out of pocket with our healthcare system. So, mm-hmm. and if you think about, uh, well, sorry, no, if you look at the statistics, the majority of women who need abortions are women who live in rural areas. They are yeah. younger and they mm-hmm. are usually of low income. So, you know, if, if you had to pay for this out of pocket and travel, out of province to access a clinic, there are so many women who who just don't have the resources for that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there there's still places in Canada, which I'm, I'm going to throw it in here, that uh, I found a really great map about accessibility to hospitals and abortion clinics, like private abortion clinics in provinces. And they were showing places that the closest clinic to somebody living in this rural area there are places that it's over six hours yeah. distance. And that's just, that's still crazy to me. But moving forward, between 2006 and 2015, there were continued attempts in Parliament to pass anti-choice legislation. They kind of just died before they got passed. Mm-hmm. Between 2015 and 2017, bringing back MIFI, <laughs> the uh, abortion pill, which is a medication used for medical abortions, was approved by Health Canada to be sold and distributed, and it became available for use in 2017. 
Yeah. And I just want to throw another uh, crazy fact because we think, you know, oh, Canada, we're so progressive. This exact same medication had been available in the U.S. since 2000. There is a 15-year gap between this pill being available in Canada and versus the U.S. So Canada is not perfect, people. Like, we have no. a lot of issues and kind of what we get so heated up about is so often we rest on our laurels thinking like, yeah. oh, it'll never happen here. But when you look at everything, you know, Roe v. Wade had been passed before RV mm-hmm. Morgenthaler ever came about. So, yeah. you know, we're we're really not ahead of the curve when it comes to this. We are mediocrely trailing. Exactly. And, you know, when we look at the differences from province to province, it really shows like we are not across the board all like you know what you know what I'm trying to say you're so angered um, <laughs> I'm so angered but I'm just I'm very angry about this kind this one um stati- this one year I'm about to talk about and you know I think you and I kind of shared some emotions about this a couple weeks ago but in 2016 access to abortion started to get expanded and become safer in some provinces and I know you and I were both shocked mm-hmm. by this statistic when we read because we did we had no idea. No, absolutely no idea. In 2016, that is six years ago. Yeah, that's shocking. And this is when Prince Edward Island <laughs> decided that abortion services will be offered for the first time on the island at one hospital. And it didn't become operational till January of 2017. Exactly. So was it, sorry, Rachel, it was 1995 that you said the government had ruled provinces must allow access to private abortion clinics? Yes. So essentially, from 1995 to 2016, PEI had thumbed their nose at the government and just did not allow access. Um, And I actually have a, a story I heard uh, from a woman, oh, and I was story was heartbreaking. Oh my gosh, I was absolutely in tears the first time I heard it. Um, so there was a, a woman in PEI, and it was before uh, abortion clinics were accessible. She had to yeah. take a bus out of the province to get an abortion. Um, she didn't have a car; she was not able to get someone to drive her, so she had to take a public bus. And after the abortion, she was bleeding. And so she had a plastic bag that she was sitting on in the bus seat. In the bus. And there, in the bus. And there was uh, one stop where people could get out, use the bathroom, and have a coffee. And she was so afraid to stand up because she could just see blood. And she was so afraid of what people would have said and done to her if they saw that. Um, so... She found like a, a, she had a sweater that she managed to tie around her waist so she could stand up, but she just felt so ashamed. Even though she was making the right decision for herself, the stigma around it and the fact Mm. that someone had to take public transit for hours to get an abortion, like, it just, I just, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that at all. Like no one should have to take a bus out of province for no. for an abortion and then have to sit on a plastic bag. No. Like especially when you think to like the provinces around PEI also aren't that uh pro choice in the past mm-hmm. and also have a very limited amount of places yeah. that women can go and just the stigma that would be surrounding them just going to those provinces as well. It's just it it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But moving forward, we've uh we still have a long way to go. But various provinces have been establishing safe zones around private abortion clinics that limit uh, protesters, the distance that protesters can uh, be protesting around an abortion clinic. So in 2018, Ontario and Alberta did this. And also in 2018, all provinces have to cover MIFI under their provincial health plan. Yep. That's four years now, guys. That's just four years ago. And really, like, unless you're under 25, birth control isn't even free. Nope. So just throwing that out there too. You know, there's so much financial burden Mm -hmm. to keep your body safe in this country. Yep. Yep. That's why I got my IUD before I turned 25. Good thinking. Good thinking. It wouldn't be covered. Yeah, because that 
actually came into effect the year I turned 25. So everything, like all my birth control, I paid that out of pocket. And yep. it was hard sometimes, but like, you know, I wasn't going to take any chances. So I just made it work. Yeah, you you have to. And then in 2020, and this is my last bullet point for the history portion, is Nova Scotia followed suit with Ontario and Alberta and established a safe zone around their private abortion clinics as well. Yeah. Before you move on to to the next point, um, just talking about protesting activity, you know, in the media, it's always like people standing around the clinic, they've got their awful signs, they are shouting at vulnerable people who are mm-hmm. going into these clinics that might not even going in for an abortion. Like Planned Parenthood does hundreds of different things. Abortion is just one of them. Okay. Like they help women and people out so much. Mm-hmm. And um, th- all throughout history, you know, people who, uh, doctors, sorry, who performed abortions were literally putting their lives on the line because yeah. uh, this goes for Canada and the U.S. and really around the world. Doctors were shot at. They were killed. Clinics were firebombed. This was not peaceful protesting at all. This was nope. really acts of war. I don't know. Like maybe that's a little – I don't know if that's the right term, um, act of war. Mm-hmm. But like that is the stuff that's that should be criminalized. I 100% agree with you there. And I'm going to move into some general – facts about abortion access by province because I found this really handy chart on Wikipedia. Shout out to Wikipedia. So to this day, most provinces in Canada have few or zero freestanding abortion clinics. The Maritimes have a limited number of abortion providers. And as I said earlier, there were no abortion providers in PEI until 2016. And New Brunswick still refuses to fund abortions outside of hospitals. And I believe there's only three hospitals where they will fund it. Most abortion services in Canada are conducted in urban settings, meaning that many women in rural areas have to travel long distances. So like I said earlier, just a couple examples, those living in places like Prince George in BC or Thunder Bay and Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario will have to travel over six hours to reach an abortion clinic as of July 2019 statistics. And the provinces drastically differ in the number of abortion providers as well as the gestational limit at which they allow them to occur, which I thought was interesting because it's very different. It is. Across provinces. I was also very surprised to see that number because Mm -hmm. you would just think like, oh, Canada would just have like a blanket. just be standard. A blanket standard uh, gestational limit, but – Really, depending on the province, it is by the time you find out you're pregnant and can get an appointment. Well, first of all, make the decision and then get an appointment and get yourself there. Like, Mm -hmm. you could be really cutting it close, and that's so dangerous. Like, um, yeah, you know, our health care system is (laughs) really broken, um, and we have a lot of backlog of things. So, you know, if it if it was like weeks or a month you could very easily fall outside that limit. Yeah, for sure. So for illustration here, uh, Ontario, where you and I live, they have 38 providers Mm -hmm. with a gestational limit of 23 weeks and six days, while PEI has one with a gestational limit of 12 weeks and six days. It's it's not even comparable, you know? No, it's it's not. Like, I mean, if you have an abnormal cycle, you could not – yeah, even know that you missed your period. Like there's people that I have that I know around my life who have missed periods for three months. Yeah, and, and that's normal for that's them. That's just how their cycle is. Yeah, like what? Yeah, it makes me very upset. Yeah, sorry guys um, if our voices get really shaky during this episode. Um, it's us trying to keep it together. Yeah, I definitely watched a couple documentaries and did some reading, and I might have cried a few times. So (laughs) it's hard. And this I actually thought was very interesting, but the province of Quebec is very supportive and very pro-choice. And I read that prior to COVID, they would actually fund the costs of women living in their province who had to travel to the U.S. for late-term abortions because nobody, uh, no provinces in Canada actually offer them beyond 30 weeks. Interesting. Yeah. I was just like, 
That's cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that kind of relates to uh, some corporations and workplaces in the U.S. um, who have really stepped up and said, you know, if if you need help, we are there for you. Right. Because like Mm -hmm. um, we've said it many times, your workers are your most valuable asset. So if they need medical attention, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so glad that there are corporations who are going to provide that for them. Absolutely. There are cases where that just make me so upset with how not supported we are mm-hmm. in these decisions, but also then there's the people that and the corporations and the establishments that really pull through and show show, show so much support and it really warms my heart when I want to be hopeful, yeah. you know. Yeah. All right. right. Okay. This is heavy. (laughs) Um, Moving into the next, you know, it's all heavy. It's all heavy. Moving into my, our next set of bullets, which is the risks associated with losing access to abortion and um, might have a difficult, we both might have a difficult time making our way through these points, but yeah. Would you like to start? Sure. I'll take over. Okay. You, Rachel, you did a fantastic job there on the history. So here, Thank you. let me Thank help you. carry will... some of the burden. Um, okay. I'll come through like halfway through these. Got it. Got <laughs> it. Okay. So let's look at the risk of what happens when access to abortion is unlimited or lost completely. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So there is increased suicides and increased intimate partner violence and murder because many partners perhaps didn't want the burden of a child and Mm -hmm. sometimes they react in a violent way which ends in the death of, of a woman. Next is increased depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem. This kind of goes hand in hand with someone not being in the right mental place to go through with a pregnancy and raise a child. So mm-hmm. if you know someone can't support themselves and get access, you know, it's it's absolutely absurd to think that they're still going to be like they're going to be in a good mental place once they've had this child. So there really is an increased risk of depression. I want to throw something Go in for here because um, the emotional effect is huge on the woman when she is not ready mm-hmm. to have a child. Yeah. But the emotional effect on the children of parents who did not want them, mm-hmm. can we think about that? Yeah, like we absolutely need to think about that. And um, that kind of leads into the next increased risk, which is infanticide and Mm -hmm. child abuse and abandonment. And I know so many like pro-birth people, they're like, oh, we'll give the child up for adoption. We already have an overflowing system of Mm -hmm. children waiting for families. You know, where are these people? Why aren't they stepping up and adopting children if this is what they think the solution is? And it just Mm -hmm. goes to show that this is more about control over another person's body and not yep. about the health of the resulting child. Because if it was, yep. you know, we would see increased funding in education, in healthcare, child support, foster care, foster care uh, you know, mental health in general. Um, so it, it very clearly shows that these people, they don't care about the fetus or the child that is born, they just want women and and anyone who could ha- potentially have a child and carry a child to not have control of their own body. So uh, next one is increased economic hardship. And I think it's important to note that uh, the majority of abortions are actually from women who already have had children and either they you know, they can't support another child. You know, they, they can't mm-hmm. feed another mouth. 
And I think that is a very brave and responsible decision to make for your family to decide that, you know what, I need to care for the family I have. I need, I want to give them a chance at a good life. And by bringing, you know, more children into this family, you know, our quality of life is going to decrease and we're going to struggle. So I think that's very important to know. It's not just like, uh, you know, okay, the classic example that pro-birth people say is just like, oh, it's just like single loose women who are having abortions. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. No. I often think a lot of the arguments be, you know, like you said, like, oh, it's single loose women or such. And they're just using it to like erase their mistake or something. Like, I think like respect needs to be given to how complicated and emotionally difficult this decision is. It's not just like something you make in five minutes. No. Like it's a very complicated, complex decision that is very emotionally draining. Yeah. And if we kind of widen the lens on this a little bit to the country's economy in general, you know, we thrive when we have more people in the workforce who are educated right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's kind of like that rising tides lift all ships where by, you know, forcing someone to carry out a pregnancy that they don't want, nor can they actually financially support, you are dampening our economy, you know, because now that person needs to step away from the workplace or step away from their education Um, and that's, that's Mm -hmm. something we didn't even touch on yet. You know, there's so many people who have come forward with their stories around abortion and said, you know, I wouldn't have become the doctor that I am if, if I had been forced to give birth before I was ready. Right. So, so many angles. And like, as we've said this whole episode, you know, it doesn't matter what the reason is. We're just kind of highlighting if access to abortion does go away. Yeah. So I can loop in here Mm -hmm. with a couple more. Uh, Great job on it. This is really difficult to talk about. (laughs) We are, we are doing great. All right. We're we're moving through. (laughs) We're moving through. So there also is the risk of the increase in women seeking out unsafe or back alley abortions. And this is from the World Health Organization that an estimated 23,000 women die from unsafe abortions annually and tens of thousands more experience severe health complications. And as has been shown, just because abortion is criminalized or limited, it does not limit the amount of abortions that take place. It just increases the amount of unsafe abortions that take place. Exactly. And I just want to throw um, kind of a, a, an aside example here of, um, you know, again, uh, a woman who maybe already has children or wants children and, you know, has struggled or been told that it would be, in fact, dangerous for her to get pregnant mm-hmm. again. Essentially, you are committing someone to death if they by accident became pregnant again and they couldn't have access to abortion, you know? And now Mm -hmm. you're – like you have a family who is going to be missing their mother, Um, you know, children growing up without a mother. There's going to be, uh, you know, a father or another spouse that doesn't have a partner to raise their children you're just causing more grief and hardship. Mm-hmm. Kind of jumping off this point, some physical health risks that are posed by unsafe abortions. If you're kind of squeamish about uh, like medical stuff and everything, come back in like a minute. <laughs> I just listed a few, but one of them is hemorrhaging, incomplete abortion, which I um, am sorry, I actually don't have it in my heart to describe what that is. So if you want to look it up, please do. Infection. Mm-hmm which is very serious, and uterine perforation, which is essentially damaging the uterine wall by putting something up there that shouldn't be there, which comes with unsafe abortions. Exactly. And, And, um, you know, death is a risk 
as well from yeah. any of these uh, physical health risks. And also, you know, for, for someone who was too young to have a child and carry a pregnancy to term, by having an unsafe abortion, they might not be able to ever get pregnant again from the damage of, of these uh, back alley abortions. Like we said earlier, abortion usually has like a 1% risk factor. And mm-hmm. this just increases it so much when it's not safe and not done in a clinical setting. And, mm-hmm. you know, now you have someone who will never be able to have children potentially. Yep. And I'm, I'm just going to reiter- reiterate this point because I need, I just, I don't think it can be hammered home enough. They will keep happening if we lose access. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're illegal or not. They will keep happening. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but there is the increase in women needing to travel to obtain safe and legal abortion care. So this results in loss of income and financial resources. So for instance, like say you work an hourly job and you don't get vacation time and you have to travel for something that maybe you'll be away for a week, that's a week of income gone. Mm -hmm. And then that's also, you also have to expend financial resources to travel these long distances which just makes it very unattainable to women with limited resources. And then we also kind of touched on this as well, but forced birth prevents women from choosing the trajectory of their own lives and removes their right to decide when and if they intend to be a mother, which prevents a lot of things. It prevents them from progressing in their education, in their career, in their relationships, in their own personal development. Yeah, and you know we're not even going to touch really on the subject of of rape because it's it's any reason really, and yeah. the fact that you know if like a teenage girl was molested by a family member or uh, a stranger, it doesn't matter who. No, how can you condemn them to carry a pregnancy to full term? It's absolutely ridiculous. It is. And like that's that's the thing is we need we need to look at all cases and like the reason why should not matter. But it's also when we look at these when we look at this as a whole as well, we need to look at every possible circumstance of why someone could need it. And that's a valid reason. Yeah. So again, doesn't matter what the reason is. Doesn't matter doesn't matter so all right let's take a breath great work Laura (laughs) we did good there (laughs) okay so we've kind of gone through the history we've gone through the potential risks if we do lose access to abortion in Canada and really this goes for any country this is why we strongly encourage you to research the history and uh, abortion rights within your own country and what we wanted to do, this is kind of uh, in general, it's not going to matter where you're from. We think these tips are extremely applicable wherever you live. And that is the what you should and shouldn't do when it comes to responding to what is happening with Roe v. Wade or uh, limited access within your own country. So mm-hmm. the first one is uh, something we saw very commonly when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned and that was the pop-up of a bunch of new networks. And Mm -hmm. the important thing is not to create new networks. Support experienced and existing organizations doing this work. Creating new and informal networks without necessarily having the expertise or the infrastructure for abortion care can be extremely Mm -hmm. dangerous and counterproductive. We know a lot of people Mm -hmm. have their hearts in the right places, but there is no need to reinvent the work that abortion care and reproductive justice organizations have been doing for years. So Mm -hmm. instead, you know, take your time to educate yourself about experienced and existing organizations and networks that you can join or support. All right. Mm-hmm. If you have a platform where you can raise funds towards donating yes. to one of those organizations, 
That's fantastic. Yeah. And we're going to go through some organizations later on here. Don't both sides the issue. This is a human rights issue. Listen to the experts and the evidence. And, you know, just in this episode alone, we have provided a lot of evidence and that is just scratching the surface. Not all sides are equal. Sharing both sides of abortion issue is a media bias that gives mm-hmm. uh, credit to forced birth advocates. Everyone deserves the right to bodily autonomy. Any further yeah. discussion on this puts restrictions on our most vulnerable communities. So don't even yep. go there. Don't even go there. Yep. Nope. And honestly, I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times. If you don't believe in it or don't want one, don't get one. Yeah. But don't limit me. You have and my uh, choice. Yeah, you have no it. right to tell someone what they should do with their body. I'm sorry. Just don't. No. Okay. Don't exclude trans and gender nonconforming people from this conversation. Uh, again, as we stated at the beginning, we've been trying very hard not to do that. Uh, we are mm-hmm. not perfect, though. And we just want to acknowledge that all people of all genders need and have abortions. So we don't want mm-hmm. to limit that language. Uh, we apologize for any moments in this episode that we said that. Um, we are just going through it piece by piece here. Yeah. All right. Next one. Don't assume you understand the complexity of this issue. Listen to abortion care organizations and their calls to action. So Black, Indigenous, and communities of color will experience the most harm with the overturning of abortion rights. Not only will they disproportionately suffer the health consequences, but the policing surveillance and incarceration of racialized communities will be exponentially harsher. So Mm -hmm. important to remember, you know, it's our most vulnerable communities that are the most affected by this. And really, we need to be giving them all the support that we can. This one, I think this is the one that came out the most on social media. And that was people saying, you know, contact me if you need help and I'll get you to an abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. And this is something to be very wary of. So don't don't you yourself and also don't encourage anyone to contact strangers for aid in accessing abortions. Again, support the experienced organizations. This can be just uh, so dangerous. Most people, like, I know their hearts are in the right place, but it's also kind of, I don't want to be fear-mongering, but it's also the perfect way for people who are pro-birth to trick you and Mm -hmm. potentially put you in a very dangerous situation as well. You know, if you look at some of those, like, pseudo-abortion clinics, where they're not really abortion clinics. They're just trying to get you to follow through with your pregnancy. Um, So please be very aware of of those ads and just contact the professionals in existing organizations. Something we've been talking about this whole episode, do not push for legislation here in Canada. What we need to be doing is fighting to strengthen the enforcement of the Canada Health Act. All right. So as we've said many times here, abortion is not illegal in Canada. Our issue is having the access to this essential health care. So if you see things where um, politicians are trying to push a law, likelihood this is from the pro-birth people and you want to be striking this down wherever possible. Because Mm -hmm. if this were to be codified or a legislation comes into place, any future government would be able to overturn it, which would then put abortion in jeopardy in our country. So this is just where, you know, we are not like the U.S. And if we were to put this legislation in place, we would be one step closer to going through the issues that the U.S. is going through. So now that we've gone through the do's and don'ts, Um, We really want to highlight some amazing organizations that you should support. The first one is Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. They have a Take Action page, which has an automatic letter template that will go to the MP and your 
MPP. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, I I was that person who sent it to a couple of my members of parliament. And I actually did get a response from them. One of mm-hmm. them was actually on that list that was going around of MPs that was not pro-choice. And mm-hmm. the response I actually got was, um, no, he is pro-choice. But, you know, at the end of the day, actions speak, speak louder than words. So... I'll be watching this question, but it was nice to receive a response. And then um, my other MP, I pretty much got like a response later that day saying like, no, I am absolutely 100 pro-choice. And as you can see from this website, which I'm going to share in a few minutes here, I have voted against any legislation that pertained to control around abortion. So that was very nice to read as well. So I strongly encourage doing that. Next one is uh, the Abortion Rights Coalition Canada. They have a really awesome Instagram page and uh, lots of information if you need help. Next one is Planned Parenthood. They are doing great work, as we have talked about before, and they're there to help. So if you are in a crisis, that should be one of your first calls. Another one is the Norma Scarborough Fund, uh, Sister Song, And uh, there was also Cover Contraception Ontario Access BC and Birth Control Access for Manitoba. These were organizations that are trying to have all contraception paid for by our Mm -hmm. healthcare in Canada. So Mm -hmm. very important work. Another one is Sex Med. This one was great for just, you know, understanding sexuality on your own body and within your country. Uh, They also Mm -hmm. had an open letter for increasing abortion training in Canadian medical education. Because apparently, which I did not know, this is not a uh, subject that is widely taught. And so this organization is trying to increase that. So more medical professionals are able to perform safe abortions. We need that. Also, like how I would, huh, like I'm surprised. I know. I'm not at it's all. It's not something but. you think about. Like, I think we just assume like doctors are just taught everything when they go to school, yeah. but really they're not. Um, no. So I thought that that was a really great organization to support. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, as much as we don't want our bodies to be political, they sadly are. So it's important to get involved politically. You can research your candidates and vote. I personally used the forced birth resources against them. uh, Yes, she did. (laughs) (laughs) Can confirm. Um, So there is a website, which is a pro-life survey. And this is actually a survey that is sent out to different politicians in Canada. And it uh, gauges their stance on abortion, women's right. Like, Like it covered quite a few things, but mostly around abortion. And Mm -hmm. um, if there was a red light on that politician, it meant that they were pro-choice. There was a yellow light and that was like, you know, we're not sure, proceed with caution. And then there was a green light, which was that they were uh, pro-birth. So might as well use their resources against them. So if you want to look up your politician, that's a good place to start. Just make sure you read it, you know, backwards. Yeah, my brain is doing some flip floppies where my brain is like green, pro choice. No. Apparently not. No, no, red light is good. And then, of course, there are countless templates available to send to your MP and MPP. The important thing about using these templates is that it actually highlighted that we want to support the Canada Health Act and ask provinces to enforce it and maintain it. You need to be careful about writing an individual letter because we don't want to do, as we've said before, is have a legislation. So that's Mm -hmm. why I really liked those templates. And I'm sure those guys are getting lots of them right now. So they are kind of prepared to answer those questions. (laughs) Lastly, this was also a really great resource. And that was searching your MP's position on abortion. Uh, The particular legislation, I believe, was... uh, C-233, that was one of the most recent votes on stuff pertaining abortion access. And that Mm -hmm. was uh, searchable at ourcommons.ca 
and openparliament.ca. This was also the site that the MP gave me to show his stance on all abortion votes. So very excellent site to really see what your MP is voting on. It doesn't just pertain to abortion. Excellent. Get political people. Do we have anything else to say, Rachel? Just that all people should have the right to choose what to do with their body and they have the right to autonomy and the right to safety and just no one should dictate what you can and cannot do with your body. Here, here. That's all I have to here, say. Here, here. Here, here. That's a new saying. Here, here. Here, here. Thank you um, for bearing with us. Uh, there was definitely um, maybe one or two moments in there where my voice was a little more than shaky, but we are both very passionate about this topic and we just want to do what we can to make people aware in Canada of where our country stands, but also encourage people from other countries to take those steps to understand what is going on in their home because knowledge is power. Exactly. And um, I know we kind of mentioned this earlier before, but being Canadians, I think we think of ourselves as, you know, you know, oh, we're so great. We're so free. Things that are happening around the world will never happen here to us. And this is how we become complacent. And mm -hmm you know, we need to stay on top of these things because if, if we aren't in some way supporting these organizations or, uh, you know, voting, this is how our rights get whittled away and they're mm -hmm. just eroded down to not having rights at all. And um, I know we spoke a lot about just abortion in this episode, but really human rights and equal rights are for everyone. Um, so I just wanted to share some additional resources that support equality for all persons of Canada. Um, so the first one is Migrant Rights Network, a Canadian Centre for Gender and Sexual Diversity, and Disability Justice Network of Ontario. Um, please go check out all the resources that we talked about. And if you cannot financially give a donation, at mm -hmm. least spread their messages and support their calls to action in any way that you can. Definitely. I think we're going to leave it there, friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with any Canadian or anyone you think would find this episode helpful. If you want to talk to us, you can email us at twithlaurarachel at gmail.com. You can also leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. This show is available on all podcasting platforms. So definitely check out some of our other episodes. And that's the tea. That's the tea, friends. So live like tea. Live like tea. <laughs>